0: I hope what you learn from this conversation is a catalyst for your own growth. So thanks for tuning in and welcome to our tribe. Hey, welcome back, Solar Warriors. This is a Tactical Tuesday, practical insights to help you win your week and grow in your clean energy career, your business, however you're approaching this energy transition. We're here for you each and every Tuesday to give you tactical advice and insights from the industry's leading experts. Today is certainly no exception. Lean into this one, you're gonna learn a lot. We had a lot of fun. It's halfway through 2023, and we usually quarterly convene our favorite podcasters in the industry to hear what is the latest happening in the sector. I try to dig into that each and every Thursday here, but today's Tactical Tuesday is special. I have the privilege of meeting quarterly in, in this case, every six months this time with some of the smartest folks i know there are dozens of industry experts doing podcasts at this point joining the podcast revolution if you will and every so often we get together in a podcaster's round table this past friday was one such event if you missed it you're in luck because we're rebroadcasting here today i get a chance to learn from my peers what they're learning from their podcasts this time We had some amazing contributors, some new contributors to the roundtable. So if you want to eavesdrop on industry podcasters and veterans chewing the fat on all the things happening in the industry that we see through the lens as podcasters of our guests and the companies they run, you're gonna wanna tune in here. Just a rundown of who was on the round table. Mike Casey, of course, my partner in crime here, from Tigercom and his Scaling Clean podcast, Dana Marie Perkins from Bloomberg NEF with the Switched On podcast, Amy Simpkins from Powerflow, David Roberts, many of you know Dr. Volts from Volts podcast, myself of course, Mr. Bill Nussi from Freeing Energy, a regular contributor to our roundtable, and last but certainly not least, Mr. Josh Porter of Solar Coaster. The lineup is incredible. The conversation was even better. If you like this kind of information, well, you are in the right place. we got more than 600 such episodes. Tactical advice, deep industry, dive into the personalities that are building the energy transition on the front lines of the clean energy revolution. I hope that you'll subscribe to the show. You can find more than 600 in our back catalog episodes with clean energy founders and thought leaders just like today at mysuncast.com. For now. Let's dig in and roll up your sleeves. It's another Tactical Tuesday here on Suncast.
1: All right, hey Clean Techers, this is Mike Casey, and we are back with our eighth episode of our Clean Tech Podcasters Roundtable. We've got an enhanced lineup today that we're very excited about. I want to extend a special welcome to David Roberts of the Volts Podcast, Amy Sinkins of the Power Flow Podcast, and Dana Perkins of Bloomberg's Switched On Podcast. Also, welcome to our longtime regulars, Bill Nussie, Josh Porter, and my partner in this series, Nico Johnson. We like to say that while our quarterly editors roundtables display a breadth of view, the roundtables with our podcasters provide a depth of view. They spend an hour plus with some of us one at a time, and together, their experiences of us form a mirror that we can see ourselves in if we look closely enough. So I'm really psyched to welcome this terrific lineup. And so viewers can put faces with the names. I'm going to ask each of them to say their name and their podcast. Amy Simpkins, let's start with you. Hi, this is Amy Simpkins from
2: the Powerflow podcast. All right. Dana? Dana Perkins, Bloomberg Switched On.
1: All right. Mr. Nussie?
3: Bill Nussie, the Free Energy Podcast.
4: David Roberts. Uh, David Roberts, Volts Volts Podcast.
1: Josh Porter.
4: Josh Porter, Solar Coaster.
1: All right. And last and least, (laughs) you're on mute, Johnson. Come on, get it together. We're (laughs) live, man.
0: Didn't want you to hear my kids rolling around in the background. Nico Johnson, Suncast.
1: All right. Cool. Well, actually, hey, seriously, welcome to all of you. We're just delighted to have you. And um, it's it's uh, these things are a lot of fun for us to put on. I hope you have as much fun as uh, joining us as we do hosting you. All right. So, folks, we're going to do a full round robin on this one within clean economy sectors. What are the biggest three trends you're seeing with your podcasting? What makes them big? All right, Mr. Nessie, you always complain by going last. We're going to start with you. Go ahead.
3: <laughs> I think the big topics that have really captured the attention of everyone who's in this space. Uh, first, there's a lot more podcasters entering the space. So this is a te- tectonic shift. I don't know if the world's going to survive, but there's more and more podcasters. So I don't know. But seriously, uh, I think the two things that are really exciting me are the, the rise of manufacturing In the us you know the ira is having its intended effect there's we're going to talk about it more today but having uh more and more companies announce uh manufacturing uh, i think this is a huge shift frankly it's happening faster than i had worried but uh i'll believe it when i start seeing products come out of those factories the second thing that i think is really notable to me and and didn't expect it a year ago is the continued focus on, on nuclear uh i'm sure we could have a great debate here on this call about the pros and cons of that but I think it is uh, nuclear is on the ascension in terms of the interest as a potential uh, solution to the clean energy future. And uh, even uh, out there, stuff like the fusion announcements we've seen have fueled, uh, no pun intended, the, uh, the speculation, interest and passion for this topic. So I think that's the, some of the things that are exciting me in terms of dialogues.
1: And with that, Mr. Nussi, you're, you've now opened the floodgates to all of LinkedIn's nuclear bros are going to be on the comment section for the show. So Love it. thank you. We really appreciate that. All right, uh, Dana, grind it out from London late at night. You get to go next. Yeah, I know how to have a good Friday
2: night. So I mean, I think the main thing that is sticking with me. This is you now see the state of my social life. Um, this thing that's sticking with me right now is supply chains. So, I mean, we recently formed a team focused on supply chains, but it pops up in pretty much every show. Now, the premise of my show is a little bit different from some of yours. You know, we only feature external guests, not part of my team, about once a month. Most of the people that I end up speaking with are actually members of my team and researchers. But normally you would think that people would stay in their lane and they'd be talking about their specific research, But supply chains crop up everywhere, and a lot of it has to do with the fact that we just don't know how that's all going to play out. Everybody's doing their best to think about how that's going to take shape, who's going to be trading with who. But nearshoring, localization, deglobalization, whatever word you want to choose, uh, it's disrupting everything, Uh, in some cases for better, some cases for worse. All right. Mr. Robs, top three you're saying.
4: Um, I I decided I didn't want <clears throat> to choose anything anybody else was going to choose, so I have gone a little nerdy. <clears throat> the first one that's really exciting, and this I don't know if it's call it a trend yet. It's a, a gathering trend, is um, because of the restraints on the grid, grid capacity, and especially grid interconnection, which is, as everyone knows at this point, extremely difficult takes a long time to get hooked up to a grid. There's more and more um, examples of off-grid renewables connected directly to industrial applications, industrial load, basically, um, you know, industrial heat or um, electrolyzing hydrogen, various things. You can you can find a lot of different examples, but off-grid renewables, I think, are kind of a huge under-the-radar trend in the next few uh, years. The second one is, I would just say, increasing attention to heat—the sort of other, the other energy, <laughs> um, you know—which is half our final energy, which we don't talk about nearly as much. But the sort of electrification of residential heat through heat pumps, and the re- and the electrification of industrial heat through uh, heat batteries, stuff like that. Just thinking more about heat, capturing more waste heat. Just heat in general, I think, is a, is a, a dark horse. And then um, what was my – oh, the third one was just, I think, and this is very broad, but it's just digital um, integration of EVs, EV charging, home appliances, homes, microgrids, basically digital coordination of small-scale distributed uh, DERs, you know, this has been gathering for a while, but I think it's really starting to break out uh, uh, these days.
1: All right, we're going to span the globe, going from London all the way to um, to Maui. Josh Porter.
5: Uh, yeah, I could echo plenty of that. that those those ideas there. Uh, I'm definitely looking at in Hawaii the self supply kind of household and the operating system of energy. How uh, EVs are integrated to that how storage and 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 grid grid services are int- integrated to that um, you know i'm living that world right now in our own home here and i find that fascinating i know that in InterSolar munich solar edge just announced uh, you know we'll see how real this is and when it comes out but they're bi-directional Uh, DC EV charger, which I think when you start looking at a place like Hawaii, where you have multiple EVs and given household with 100 or 200 amp electric service, then you actually have the opportunity to have a lot of storage. And that really changes the game about how you manage your renewables. That's kind of an area of focus for us. Uh, Also, we just came off Hawaii Energy Conference 10 year anniversary here in Maui. And there was this, you know, lots of discussion about all the different approaches to get to 100% renewables. Uh, I did have a big discussion about um, uh, IRA, uh, the monetization of tax credits and how municipalities and nonprofits and different organizations can p- can play a role directly rather than having to go to third party developers for everything kind of uh so but these are some of the changes that we're excited about here at Solar Coast. There are Plenty more to talk about, but I don't want to uh, take up too much time.
1: You kept that you kept that under two minutes, Josh. This is a I special I moment. I heard you <laughs> brother. I love special it. <laughs> All right, <clears throat> Amy, you're next. You top three. What are you saying?
6: Awesome. Um, I'm seeing this uh, increased public acceptance and public consciousness around distributed energy being led by electric, electric vehicles. And I don't know if that's because people normal people can see electric vehicles on, on the streets. And so it's become this sort of like in the consciousness without thinking about it. But all of a sudden, along with that, people who we've had to argue with for a long time uh, about the value of solar, pairing storage with solar, you know, and, and bringing in distributed energy are like, well, of course you would because you got to charge your vehicles. So why wouldn't you have this? Why wouldn't you own the generation source too? And so I think EVs are kind of opening that conversation in, in a new way. Um, And that actually leads me to the second thing, which is I'm actually seeing some depolitization. Is that a word? Hmm. Depolitic, depoliticaling okay whatever making things (laughs) less political especially at the grassroots um i had this is a this is a this is a this is a uh, personal anecdote um not not necessarily a podcast one but there's a a a, a county in ohio that's that's fairly rural that i have personal ties to um just basically the county came out uh, at the commissioner level with a resolution to Uh, ban large-scale solar installations. And I attended the uh, comment, public comment meeting, and literally every single person who was there was there to stand up for solar. And they weren't all, you know, liberals. They weren't all left on the, this is still rural Ohio. You know, a lot of them saying, like, please don't tell us what to do with our land. Like, we want to own our own destiny. And so, you know, I feel like that's a shift, like seeing it at the grassroots level, if not in um, you know policymakers offices. Um, and the third one from kind of from a technical perspective, I think we're seeing um, finally, finally seeing an expansion of interest in energy storage technologies beyond lithium um, and uh, seeing some development happening. Some of that is coming from the federal government with the bipartisan infrastructure law. Some of it is just in the public consciousness with like hydrogen, hydrogen vehicles, hydrogen storage. And so um, I'm looking forward to more of those conversations where lithium isn't just the default solution.
1: All right. Last but not least, uh, Nico Johnson. But I do want to say thank you to everybody who's watching us live on LinkedIn and YouTube. YouTube, excuse me. Nico Johnson, your top three, my friend.
0: Thanks, Mike. Hard crew to follow. Uh, I'm going to tag on to what a couple of folks have said. So uh, tying in what I'm seeing through the podcast specifically, which is my my main lens. A lot of you all have day jobs. Um, I have been really impressed with and also disappointed by, uh, on both sides, the level of local activity uh, for and against renewables. There is a lot happening in the heartland right now to lobby against renewables. The nimbyism is pretty strong. Mike is very vocal about it on his LinkedIn. Um, I've talked... Uh, at length with folks like Kieran Betraju and Azad Asshai in recent episodes about our role in the industry and what we could do and need the need to be more civic minded. Um, uh, Specifically, one of the things that's impressing me are the number of folks who are leaning into getting folks from the industry onto public commissions or even local boards. Uh, And I think that that's something we're going to see a need more of specifically. Our industry taking responsibility for the level of uh, impact that we can have. And so, like, had a really interesting conversation with Kerry Zaleski, the outgoing chair of the Illinois Commerce Commission. Um, and it's, it's astounding how many people are showing up at these meetings who have us, who want to have a say. And that say often is poorly influenced in ways that we could materially change. And I think as communicators, we're not doing a great job at the corporate level and at the communications level of getting out in front of it. I think that's the trend I've seen the most in the first half of this year is just this, the upswell of the negative press, so to speak, against renewables that we have to really get ahead of. Um, second, and we've talked about this a lot recently on the show, is um, while the residential solar market seems to be in a somewhat free fall in terms of pricing um, from a supply uh, side, from financing, et cetera, um, we are also seeing a technology shift in um, both on the wall like Josh was talking about, as well as on the roof. N-type TopCon modules were uh, far and away the most talked about and top-performing um, assets in the recent PVEL uh, scorecard. We've talked about that a lot in the show recently. So that's a, that's a thing that, for me, represents an actual technology shift that we see every four or five years in the industry. Last time it happened was PERC modules, P-type PERC modules. Um, and I see it now happening with N-type. And I would suggest that by the end of this year, we're going to see the majority of residential solar installs are being done within this N-Type TopCon module. Um, and then the third, uh, just thinking about the first half of the year and how it particularly d- uh, in- impacted my podcast and I think others, because I know Bill is a, um, is a user of some of these um, these tools that are leveraging AI, but AI is everywhere. And if you're not using AI in your podcast or in your communications writ large for your company, you will be or you will be left behind <laughs> Um, but it is, uh, what we see bubbling on the surface, the frothy part of AI, uh, is, is what media likes to glom onto, but more importantly, how machine learning and AI is directly impacting, uh, energy is not a new thing. It's something that's like the energy sector was one of the earliest to adopt it. In fact, the petrochemical sector was adopting it before the renewables sector. And I think that we're going to see in the second half of the year, a huge, um, a lot more like demonstration of how, uh, machine learning and AI are improving our energy transition and accelerating it at a faster rate.
1: And you newcomer-
4: can, I, can I jump in, Mike? Just please, to, go ahead, David. Just, just to make a note that uh, this very Wednesday on volts.wtf uh, podcast coming out about AI and machine learning in, uh, okay. in clean energy. Nice. nice. All right. Whoa.
1: Well, you newcomers, you don't really realize there's kind of a silent Senate rules between Mr. Johns, Mr. Porter. When Mr. Porter goes short, Mr. Johnson goes long. They kind of <laughs> yield each other time just so you'll see this dynamic played out. But that, that never mind. All right. I'm, several of your answers have me want to switch around the order of our questions. So I'm going to just ask our third question next. We've asked this before of other panels. But given the fluidity of the landscape, I want to pose it again. So we now count eight big barriers to the clean energy transition. I'm going to rattle them off. I'd like each one of you to tell me which you think is the biggest and why. Or if we're missing one, say that. So permitting, community acceptance for clean energy projects. That's what I focus on a lot. A gentleman at Clean Power Power Reception told us that they are tracking 160 projects across America that have been – killed this year each of them over 100 megawatts so i'm thinking that's a 10 to 20 billion dollar problem the industry has that's kind of based on the original sin of frictionless permitting in deeply conservative areas then there's critical minerals right which dana had a recent episode talking about workforce development transmission storage supply chain instability and grid stability just want to go around lightning round the most challenging one you think for this sector and why that is all right mr nussi you got to go first we'll give you another go first one and that's all you get for the show
3: i'm done man uh hey listen i i think there's there's two really important distinctions in the question at the risk of answering it too long i think the public perception uh which drives regulators policymakers uh politicians decision makers i think the answer there is around things like uh, uh grid stability and uh, in my personal opinion, matters that are less relevant to uh, actual uh, the slow deployments, um, and I think those are areas that are easiest to create fud around for people who don't want to see this transition happen or want it to happen slower. To me, the the, the really the only thing that's going to it's holding us back materially right now, and of course, I am a local energy guy, so I'm thinking about smaller scale systems. Uh, so it won't put transmission first. Is uh, storage. I think storage is the one thing that solves all problems. There's a reason they call me Battery Bill. Uh, I own it. I live it. I am Battery Bill. I didn't know that. Yeah, dude, I am <laughs> Battery Bill. It's, uh, That's pretty good. Uh, So I think that uh, I, I love seeing all the innovation, all the different battery types, the fact that the prices continue to go down, EVs and the grid make wonderful uh, siblings as they push the prices down. I don't know when we get to critical mass. Most of what I've learned about that, I've read from David's work. Uh, but I do think that... Uh, uh, The perception that the price of batteries going down is going to be, once that becomes widespread, I do think that's going to cause this thing to accelerate, as opposed to the perception that renewables are making the grid less stable in Texas and things like that.
1: Amy, the biggest of those barriers and why?
6: Okay, the one I like from your list there is permitting, because I'm lumping interconnection underneath that, Um, especially, and I also, Bill, am a uh, small systems behind the meter kind of person. so. the hur- hurdles r- ridiculous and weird hurdles on what you can and can't do in terms of like microgridding neighborhoods together and um you know really finding symbiosis um together in collaboration as opposed to just everyone just having to be um really really separate um but i wanted to add one to the list um the one that i see kind of in my my day to day is um a lack of validated performance particularly around economics um hmm. either benefits or, or impacts from systems um there have been i mean the the industry you know if you go back with solar isn't isn't that new anymore although batteries are pretty new um in terms of projects out there and it just seems like um there aren't too many people going ba- out back out there to validate performance to make sure that like the economics that were were um, promised during design are actually coming to fruition, um, and that does a couple of things. One, and um, it the lack of positive performance validation is actually holding projects back because financiers' um, capital capital projects uh, are getting delayed because they don't have faith. In, that they're gonna they're gonna get that return on investment which is what they're looking for um and uh what the, what, the worst that can happen though is that um our industry over promises and under delivers which honestly is what's happening right now and i mean it's not surprising with the amount of innovation that we do that we need to like promote we need to we need to start before we're ready and so there's a lot of talk about the, a lot of impact that can that can happen from distributed energy resources, but then you install them at sites and site hosts say, this isn't actually doing what you said it was. In fact, I'm not even saving any money. In fact, I'm not, I'm actually, it's actually making it worse because the battery is charging at a really poor time. And what the heck? And if some of these stuff gets out, I mean, we're just, we're giving our detractors to go back to Nico's point about the surge of negative, um, um, public opinion is that we're, we're giving them fuel for the fire if we don't go back if we the industry doesn't don't go back to our work and say "Ooh, you're right this isn't the greatest I can tweak it we'll push a patch we'll um, change the settings let's do some analysis and figure out how to make it better otherwise you're going to have um, case studies that support the negative
1: uh, the naysayers all right Mr. Roberts you're next which of those uh, barriers are the biggest, in your opinion?
4: Um, I, I just want to shortly preface by saying, um, you know, a, a, another topic might be which of these are overhyped. Uh, mm-hmm. I actually think fair that, Fair I enough. actually think the critical materials thing is overhyped. I think this. I think the workforce thing is somewhat overhyped. I think a lot of these problems are going to work themselves out. Um, the one that keeps me up at night is permitting, which I would sort of broaden out. I, I think as everyone is to sort of U.S. bureaucracy generally, just the old, old regulations, old, old ways of doing things that are slowing things down. So, and I include transmission in that too, primarily. And I think if you saw the way the politics went down around the debt ceiling bill, you know, uh, the Mountain Valley pipeline made it in and all the transmission reforms got crushed, by utilities so that's a sort of a signal of where the politics are on this and 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 you know when i think about limits to the speed we need that's 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 number one just our ability to build fast enough
0: have you been curious about utility scale storage sungrows revolutionary liquid cooled solution is revolutionizing the storage landscape it's built-in DC to DC coupling combined with other features like higher energy density and 3% slower battery degradation make it a robust solution that companies nationwide are choosing. You can learn more about this innovative solution by SunGrow by visiting mysuncast.com forward slash SunGrow. Hey, pardon the interruption, but I wanted to just let you know how much of an impact you have on SunCast. Yeah, You, thank you for clicking play. Without you, this show is just me shouting into the void. But there's still people who don't even know about Suncast. I know. I can hardly believe it myself. (laughs) But that's where you can help me yet again. There's a simple way that you can show some love and help others discover the show. If you cruise over to www.ratethispodcast.com forward slash Suncast. I'd love it if you would leave a five-star rating and enthusiastic review. That's possibly the single kindest thing that you could do for me today. So if the show has helped, inspired, or even entertained you at all, I'd love it if you would head over to ratethispodcast.com forward slash suncast and give me a virtual two thumbs up. All right, back to today's episode.
1: All right. Well, if it, and David, if there's any, um, consolation, Larry Householder is going away for 20 years. He's the <laughs> former Speaker of the Jeez. House. Oh, right. 61. Wow. But I just, I just, to, I just want to point out that he who got bribed is going to jail. He who gave out the bribes is still watching Netflix at home without having to negotiate TV access to the shot collar. That would be, well, but, um, Chuck, can
4: but can i just say another another trend i, di- I didn't mention this because it's not technically clean energy but i think it's three states now have passed laws prohibiting utilities from using ratepayer money for lobbying which is which i hope is the beginning of, of a broader trend
1: robert you have it all wrong it that will silence the gas industry silence them <laughs> that's why it's wrong for <laughs> that it's terrible
4: all right you say that like it's a bad thing
1: this business <laughs> Miss <laughs> Perkins, well wait, we're going to we're going to let go of these uh this thespian tryout and actually get a substantive answer here. You the, uh, <laughs> the uh and hello hello Luis Davila. Didn't know you'd moved up to Seattle. Good seeing you, my friend. All right, Miss Perkins, what is the biggest barrier from that side of the pond, do you see? So, I'm going to agree with Battery Bill but not
2: specifically on batteries. Of course, having energy where you need it when you need it, but also because of space constraints, land. We're talking about land use if we're thinking about a net zero future, not in the immediate term, but in the long term, there is going to be concerns over this and competition for land. We do a backward looking scenario analysis where we think if you design the entire energy system actually accomplishing a net zero future by 2050, what would that look like? And there are certain things where if we don't embrace nuclear and we think about hydrogen, you're going to have so much overcapacity in order to be able to actually do this that you are going to need so much space. I mean, for a hydrogen-fueled net zero future, for example, you're going to need to cover a landmass the size of India with wind and solar. So batteries enable us to reduce overcapacity in order for us to then therefore think about land use in a different way. But then we also think about storage when it comes to hydrogen, which is one of the very popular places, popular things to talk about internationally at the moment. That's also an issue of storage. You know, there's a, there's a concern about where, when, and the physical limitations, not only of shipping, but of storage when it gets there, depending upon how it is actually manufactured and stored. So I would say storage still continues to be at the center. All right.
1: Senators Johnson and Porter, you guys decide which one's going to second to last and last, and see if we can keep you under a minute each. <laughs> I'll, I'll go give you the last
5: word. You want me to go for it, Nico? Um, yeah. So out here in Hawaii, we have, um, the, for one
3: of the, <laughs> <Where are> you? <laughs> That
1: go. got, got right at him so fast. That's awesome. <laughs> Rans, you're up, man. Go.
0: Uh, I'm just going to say, uh, I'm going to say storage and then Josh can go, I think it's storage, but uh, we've had some really lovely answers here. So Josh, go for it.
5: <laughs> uh, we saw a big drop off of of solar uh, systems, solar plus storage systems over the course of the last few years here in Hawaii. We thought we were getting to like eighty percent renewables in the next few years, and then RFP phase two, uh, just many of those systems fell fell apart. So I think getting getting systems permitted, community acceptance, NIMBYism, all of these things are playing a major role. Supply chain uh, instability certainly changed Our pricing, and everything needed to be rebid. Now we're at RFP phase three, and there's hope to be able to get back up to some of those earlier marks of, of offset. So for me, I, I tend to think about that, at least on the utility scale side of things.
1: All right. Uh, well, I think we have a an audience uh, question from Daniel Gregory. He would love to hear some opinions on compounded land uses, agrivoltaics, BIPV, other options people like more. Anybody want to take that question? That's really good.
5: I, there, this is a big focal point. <laughs>
4: Boy. That's, and that's there I go again. this is called self-selection. Oh,
5: I right <laughs> give it to someone else. There's great technology out there in agrivoltaics. I'm seeing that lightweight poly-encased mm. modules. New companies coming out to approach uh, agrivoltaics and, and be able to dual use the it, land. Essentially,
0: this you know Daniel French has had the solar farm summit uh, for the last few years, and it has it was way oversubscribed this last year in Chicago. I would encourage anyone who is interested in agrivoltaics to go to the solar farm summit. Um, you're seeing major developers, in particular Silicon Ranch, who has really uh, um, utilized their land in um, in progressive ways, as well as Lightsource BP, be very vocal about how they are intentionally caring for the land, and and the the whole idea of agrivoltaics um, in the U.S. market was very subculture. Until I would say until like the last maybe six to nine months, but in in Europe it has been a thing, lo and behold, for many years. So I'm pretty excited to see that it's becoming more popular here in the US.
1: Okay. I'm gonna go back to I question two. That. Uh, I want to
5: I want to just mention that the 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 reap grants are actually inc- increasing, and that yeah. changes the uh, the economics of agrivoltaics in a really amazing way. We're looking at some very specific projects here in Hawaii. I mean, when you get um, huge grants on the reap side, plus the existing tax credits, you can have you can have payback periods, you know, immediately, essentially.
1: All right. There is near uniform agreement that the IRA was a handoff from policymakers of the private sector with a mandate to, to quote Secretary Granholm, deploy, deploy, deploy. So on a scale of one to five, one being slow, five being quick, how would you rate the private sector performance and deploying within the environment now created, uh, now enabled by the IRA? A number and a reason. Um, Dana, let me start with you. Okay, I think the hard part actually for all of this with
2: me listening to all of you so deeply knowledgeable about the United States and my role as an inch deep and a mile wide covering the entire world and as a podcast host, asking questions, but not often providing very many answers because I am myself not an analyst. It was hard for me to come up with this answer. And fortunately, I got a little tip off. So I phoned a friend uh, and I reached out to the head of Americas, who's Ethan Zindler for us. And I asked him, I was like, where, where would you put this on this number? And he said, "Ah, four, maybe a five. Wow. And then one of the things that we got to talking about was actually around the fact that, first of all, we're going, I mean, you can be pessimistic if you want to want to about this, but we're seeing things that we've never seen before. And it's creating jobs and it's creating jobs in parts of the country where they are needed and where this may actually really influence how they look at these energy sectors. So if you're thinking about the fact that post IRA, so since what August of 2022 until May of 2023, there's been, was this, 70 billion of announced work being done in the EV supply chain. And a lot of this manufacturing is going into states like Georgia, Michigan, Arizona, Nevada, North Carolina. So this has the potential to be even bigger. But right now, we're seeing numbers that we haven't seen before. So we're going to go with an optimistic four to five.
1: I forgot that Dana had access to the uh, to the Oracle of BNEF and uh, Ethan Zindler. That's, that's cheating, man. I'm just going to tell you, you get that resource. All right, Mr. Johnson, one to five. Deployment, how's it going?
0: What was the question? I mean, <laughs> um, I'll, wow. I'll give a short, yeah, I'll give a short answer. And I th- what I'll say is what I've said on, on air v- recently, uh, I think probably a four. And I'm really encouraged by the unbelievable quality of talent that the government is hiring into the Department of Energy at all levels. Um, it's really staggering. I mean, from the top down. The people that are being, I'll say, compelled to, uh, not convinced, but compelled to go work at, um, in public service, um, David Crane being one of the most recent. And mm-hmm. it's, it's uh, I think for that reason, it's a four leaning towards a five. Like really, this whole notion of deploy is being taken seriously and it's being staffed, which we haven't seen in the past.
1: Don't worry, Battery Bill, you're going last on this one. <laughs> All right, Amy, one to five. How's private sector doing deploying in the wake of the IRA?
6: I give it a solid four and a half. And the reason for the half star deduction is because can you ever really give the, the federal government a five on rep, rapid deployment of anything? Um, there's always still going to be some red tape. But when I look at the IRA, you also cannot forget its uh, sister program, the Bipartisan Infrastructure Law, BIL. Uh, the two of them together are a one-two punch of deployment. In the BIL, we have uh, project deployment in underserved areas, uh, Justice 40, a real focus on energy justice and workforce development justice in underserved, underdeveloped areas, um, and also technology innovation, all all, all of these coming through, through mostly the newly formed Office of Clean Energy demonstrations, which seems to be like on fire, but in a good way, you know. Um, and then, uh, the IRA, of course, is previously mentioned, you know, uh, with uh, manufacturing and enabling the private sector through tax credits. So, um,
1: yeah, four and a half out of five stars. All right, let's go, Josh, David, and then battery bill. Uh,
5: I'll give it a three. I think that, um, the private sector's there and they're doing amazingly at bringing out um, projects. I do think that the IRA itself and the way that The tax credits can be monetized for municipalities needs to be better understood. I think there's a lot of savings to be had there in local governments and organizations. That is not really fully understood yet. And, you know, out here you have um, uh, a retail rates at 42.9. The last time I, t- I calculated it per kilowatt hour. So when you look at that over the lifecycle of these systems, there's a, it's very expensive. You've got an affordable housing crisis here in Hawaii. Um, these are mechanisms to really reduce monthly costs for people. And I'm not seeing that fully taken advantage of yet. That's baked into
4: the
1: IRA. I'd like to see more of that. David, one to five. How's the private sector doing?
4: Uh, I'm going to agree with everybody else and say four. Um I would echo uh, Nico that it is, um, there's a lot of, you know, if you uh, sort of scratch these government agencies one level down, there's just a lot of super good talent uh, being deployed at this, a lot of uh, willingness in the private sector. What I think, and, and and another thing I'd call out is just of interest, is the movement, the sort of NGOs swinging around, to try to help deployment, to try to help the kind of problems that Josh are talking about, just sort of educate people, what's available, what's out there, try to help vulnerable communities access this stuff. It's a really fascinating kind of new role for, for, um, you know, activists. And I just, I don't know how that's going to play out, but I think it's really interesting. The only other thing I'd say is the IRA was an attempt to bring really an audacious attempt to sort of onshore entire supply chains which is really i don't think the public has as as really understands what a big deal that is and what a you know what an amazing attempt that is and what a big thing it's trying to do and so it's really interesting to watch like you're seeing a lot of manufacturing facilities you know for like batteries and cars and stuff like that stuff that everybody loves everybody wants everybody will compete for but what about um mines Right. What about uh, mineral that first pass of mineral processing, which is like 98 percent happening in China right now? That is gross. Like, I don't know how familiar people are with that process, but it's real gross. It's real dirty. It's real nasty. Are we going to really bring that? <laughs> are like our are mines, our are, are, are American communities going to welcome mines? Are they going to welcome these sort of gross, dirty facilities? It's sort of interesting. So it'll, it'll be interesting to see now there's this sort of money showering down on all parts. What will actually happen around sort of the resistance and the cultural forces in the US, I think, is a fascinating dynamic to watch right now. So certainly some parts of the supply chain are thundering in, which is amazing, but other parts, You know, we'll see.
2: All right, battery David, real quick. Go ahead. Just uh, to your point on the fact, are they going to welcome like the actual manufacturing or refining, those sorts of things? I mean, yeah, truth. We'll see what happens in the future. But are they going to welcome mines? If they don't have the deposits, they won't. I mean, the reality is we're talking about Assembly in some circumstances, but for something like batteries, it will always be a global supply chain. And yes, we can focus on circular economy. And yes, we can think about where we're going to try and do things better, cheaper, more in, in a more insular way. But some of the solutions are going to require cross regional, cross government collaboration, no matter what,
1: just because of where they are. It's a great point.
4: Just interesting.
1: Battery bill.
3: I'm going to uh, push back on the question because i think that asking about capital and deployment misses a really critical uh deeper question which is what kinds of capital are moving and i think the ira was aimed squarely at the billion dollar projects and living in georgia being a new yorker who moved down here i uh i am tickled to see our state lean into this i don't always uh, don't always applaud some of the things our state does when it comes to energy and it's uh nice to see us uh, embracing the jobs mantra and really pushing that hard. And I'm optimistic that we'll see that work well. So I think from that point of view, the IRA is really uh, helping open up everyone's eyes with the loan programs office now getting behind it as well. This is a one-two punch that I think is going to change the the landscape of American manufacturing, even well beyond renewable energy. But I I think the other area that I'm actually more excited about, because you all know I'm a local energy DER nut, I, I I think now that the IRS is finally starting to opine on the transferabil- transferability of the tax credits, I think we're going to see hundreds of billions at for particularly for commercial scale projects, which are more you know, done by factories, industries, campuses, communities. I think that's going to unleash, and that, frankly, the thing that excites me is that that's going to unleash an amazing amount of uh, uh, infrastructure um, innovation which is two words rarely used together. And then the last part, I have to say, I'm a little frustrated with my uh, colleagues in venture capital, which is a space I joined since I started doing this with you years ago. I've become a venture capitalist. Don't hate me. Um, and uh, y- you know I see a lot of money going into these science projects. And... Um, and I, I, uh, I talked to some of my colleagues, like, what, what, how do you think you're going to get a return on this sort of subtle battery anode chemical dust pixie thing that's going to help it? Because everyone's got to build it in 17 years down the upstream into the supply chains. And uh, by the way, some of you that know me, I have a startup that did some of that. So I, I, I can I can own that one. But, um uh, it's still going, by the way, but uh, slow. But I think the part that I'm really anxious about uh, and hopefully aren't a little corner of the world where we're doing our part for is the uh, energy tech, which is the the systems that directly allow this infrastructure to get built, whether it's design software or clever hardware. To me, that's the area where I see very little recognition. And I feel like we're going to have to see the big money, which is ironic, because we're going to have to see the big money, the billion-dollar money flow before the tactical, innovative stuff they believe there's sufficient markets to go ahead and build these new generation of products uh so i do think that that last area is an area that uh fingers crossed we'll get better at and it's uniquely american we're great at this as a country but in this area i think we are probably one or two years behind where we should and could be because of the ira but the small scale stuff is just, sorry the it, this the venture-backed innovative community is still uh trying to find its uh like uh, like its sea legs i guess
1: you know, as a moderator, I don't usually uh, volunteer answers on these questions, but I'm going to I'm going to uh, offer a different view. I think they're doing a two and a half, and I'll tell you why. Because they're deploying really well in the short term. What they're doing almost nothing of is accounting for what we will call cornered animal syndrome. You can see the IRA is a 370 billion dollar displacement plan for natural gas, oil and gas industries, one of the powerful industries on earth. They're not. To, we're essentially walking up to a big hells angel sitting on a couch and going dude you're in my seat get out <laughs> and and we're not really int- we're not building in our our public case making ability to push back and i i just think it's it's unimaginable to me as someone who's been belly bumping with polluting lobbies for 30 years that they're just going to go yeah sure you know what we're going to shell we're we're just going to become a home energy management company we're good you know and and i think you're going to see these successive debt crises they're going to they're going to go again and again and again at the ira and david you had jesse jenkins on i thought was i found it was a super persuasive case that he made that the thing had been designed to be hard to unwind but i don't think it's hard to defund and i think that's these guys there's a certain mm. crew in the house that are crazy enough they'll be like i don't care i'll burn this house down so i can own the land you know they just don't care so all right there, Another
4: another trend i'd call out mike which is very much related to this is the ways that natural gas companies are flailing about trying to find a lifeline it, you know so you could cite uh, renewable natural gas um mixed in or or mixing hydrogen into natural gas pipelines to heat homes which is utterly ludicrous to anyone who understands hydrogen at all but like they're going to be flailing harder and harder because you know the math is they're going away. And as you say, <clears throat> big industries don't go away gracefully.
1: They do not. Not at all. Okay. What and who has made the biggest impression or impact on your podcast audience in the last six months? Amy, Amy, do you hear the question? I might have lost Amy. All right, Dana, I'm going to go with you next. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I want you to clarify. I you want like, to know like the show
2: that this. got the best ratings. Oh, hey, Amy, go over to you. Hmm.
0: Go for it. A little bit of a delay on Amy there.
6: Sorry, had a, a blip there. No, I was just gonna. I was just gonna say I have a. a ter- I'm the terrible person to lead this one off because um, I'm currently on a little bit of a hiatus with my podcast, so I haven't had any recent interviews. Um, but I will say that the um, attention, the episodes that are getting attention in the last six months are, and I just submit these for your consideration: disaster mitigation and recovery. Number two. Two, interoperability. And number three, startups,
2: to David's point. All right, Dana. Okay, now i will jump in. So the the one that performed the best for us was about supply chains and hence why it made my opening answer so easy. So my colleague Antoine Wagner-Jones has written a bunch of Things forecasts about where supply chains are going and how that's changing and what nearshoring looks like, and we talked through that. And people really love listening to that. And then, of course, everybody's favorite person, who's you know podcaster turned part of the solution in the U.S., but we did a show recently with Jigger Shaw, and lo and behold, people still really, really want to hear his voice on a podcast.
1: I told Jigger, he's a friend of mine, that he is he's the most successful person I ever met who had the thinnest membrane between his mind and his mouth and, uh, (laughs) how, and how he got to be, uh, the biggest voice on clean energy on LinkedIn before he got his current job. It's, uh, everybody should follow what he's doing. It's amazing. All right. Mr. Roberts,
4: who or Uh, what has left the biggest impression? I I would cite, uh, two episodes. I don't, I'm a one man show and I don't track my analytics (laughs) that closely. So this is, this is somewhat based on, on, on feelings and somewhat based on what made a big impression on me and, and, uh, But I would say two things. One is um, I interviewed the CEO of Rondo, which makes the heat battery. And that sort of introduced this notion of off-grid renewables, which you then store as heat and then use directly in some industrial application without the grid playing any role in there. And that just really sparked a lot of people's imagination. I've gotten feedback about that ever, ever since. Just sort of unlocking the world of of heat. And and there's just something sort of... um, captivatingly simple about it too it's just a box of rocks like this whole this whole industry segment is just like box of what box of sand you know box of this or that you just heat it up and it's a you know it's it's sort of charmingly low tech but also incredibly um uh important you know and potentially incredibly important and the second is an episode and i don't 100% know whether this was more than six months ago. So somebody might ding me on this, but it uh, it was about geothermal heating networks, basically turning natural gas pipeline infrastructure over to water. So you just find, um, you know, a a central geothermal heat source, and then you network hot water throughout, you know, a neighborhood or a city. and, And each, you know, each home has a heat exchanger, a heat pump, Basically, and th- and when you do this, I mean, there's a bunch of cool things about it. Number one, it is the most efficient way of heating space. Full full stop. The the least least power in for the power out. Full stop. Two, it gives natural gas companies, you know, to 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 harken back to my previous comments. It gives natural gas companies something to do. Right, they can become heat companies. Mm-hmm. Right, and they can live. They can still have their network. They can still have their infrastructure that they maintain. They can, you know, still make money. Um, and this is uh, this is something that's just like such a win-win-win-win-win, et cetera, that it really captured people's imagination. And there is a test version, like they're building one of these now up in the Northeast. So if that works, um, I think if you could get natural gas companies on board with that, just really, uh, really fascinating, huge. All right, let's both, do that. Both, both heat-related, by the way, just to harken back to my first answer, heat.
1: Got it. All right, let's go Senator Johnson, Senator Porter, then battery build around this one out.
0: That's <laughs> uh, interesting. I, I, I will actually uh, echo David in that, um, believe it or not, with more than 600 episodes, I almost never look at our stats to see which episode is performing better than another. Um, but I just, uh, thank thankfully, uh, I had a little bit of time here and I just looked it up. Um, and the episode that has outperformed all others in the last six months, uh, is on long duration energy storage. And, uh, wow. I am not surprised by that. Um, the one that I would have just like, that I had sort of plucked out of the air as my answer that most impressed me. And that I know got a lot of good feedback in, on LinkedIn was with, uh, uh, one that has been on at least one other podcast here, Arshad Mansoor from EPRI. Um, every time I get a chance to listen to or watch his keynotes, it's the most, uh, uh data rich presentation i've seen and he seems to for having worked at pretty for 20 plus years never tire of like he never loses energy for the mission he's on which is to help the energy transition so shout out to arshad because that episode like actually was the one that impacted me the most and um yeah long duration energy storage is for the win on suncast right now
1: all right, mr. storage porter. is back see
0: <laughs> there he is
1: all right mr uh, porter far away
5: yeah, yeah. So we just finished Hawaii Energy Conference out here last month, and I have a series that I haven't released yet, but they, the interview that impacted me was the <laughs> keynote speaker. Her name was Daphne Frias from West Harlem. She's also a medical student, and she talked about how a lot of the conferences that we participate in, uh, the people that are most affected by climate change and by, uh, by the the impacts of... Darn. That's there you yeah. That's all you, that's all you get, Josh. Uh, They don't get a voice. You'll be able to hear all about that when I release that series, but that impacted me quite a bit.
1: All right. Battery Bill, last but not least.
3: The most popular episode actually in the history of our firm was actually in the last six months. uh, And it was Tom Jensen, the CEO of Fryer, the the, uh, battery manufacturer coming over to the United States, building a very large factory here in Georgia. And I think part of the reason that it was so successful was Tom is a really unique guy. And for those of you that haven't had a chance to talk to him, I encourage you to do so. But he is, uh, he's a, he melds scientific genius and unbelievable understanding of manufacturing with that unusual persona that you say, I actually, actually work for that guy, Uh, Mm -hmm. you know, visionary leader. So I think he's uh, with a fair degree of humility to boot. And I also, I think because his vision of what they're doing when they're battery factory, uh, I applaud all battery factories uh, because I am battery bill. But he uh, <laughs> he talked about sort of use cases beyond just automobiles and what their battery chemistries meant and what they're learning about them. So uh, anyway, that was the most popular topic. I do think we have a lot of battery nerds uh, that do listen to the podcast. So it might've been tilted in his favor from the start.
1: All right. We got 10 minutes left. We're going to pivot a little bit over to you as podcasters here. We live in an attention-scarce world. All of you are creating long-form interviews getting attention matters just as much for your own show as it does for guests and companies that you interview. What have you learned about media and content creation in the last six months that you think most CEOs and their marketing teams would benefit from learning as well? You learned it. You wish that they had learned it. Bill?
3: I, you know, We're going to kick off a new strategy at Freeing Energy. It's going to change. We're going to focus on this thing called outrage. And what we want to do is get everyone absolutely angry so they listen in and go deep with us. Uh, no, actually, I think the. Um, it, I'm just getting angry listening it, to that. I hear that it works. I hear that it works. I just don't know. I don't feel like that kind of. Will person, there be but, pillow
6: uh, fights, though?
3: <laughs> <laughs> yes, that would be good. <laughs> um, uh, that sounds like it. Anyway, uh, uh, you know, I think that the uh, part that all of you guys do well uh, is the people want to hear about people. And I do think that is the common currency between all the successful media today. Uh, particularly the spoken media where you can hear uh, or see someone's persona, get a sense for their personality. If they're particularly good, get a sense for the guests, uh, uh, inner thinking, how do they work? What makes them tick? And I think there's just this natural curiosity to understand uh, why someone works the way they do particularly if that's a person of influence or accomplishment or insight and podcasts that do well to tease that out are is, uh, is, is the ones that seem to succeed the most for me. Uh, and I, I also think that when you have an, an interesting mix of interplay between personalities, if you have a couple of guests or the hosts of that, that is, I think, way underscored and underappreciated as the secret chemistry for these things to work. It doesn't work if you just have one or two episodes, but if you want to build a following as all of you have, I think that is the the number one approach I'd tell someone starting from scratch.
1: Amy, I do think it's appropriate now for you to let everybody know you're going to be Jesse Waters' new producer with the pillow fights on Fox <laughs> News. I, I love you, know, it. you can, I think you can break that news here. I think it would be appropriate. We'll all amplify it. But this is what I'm saying. I mean, a little mes-
6: wrestling match never never hurt any ratings. So, um, but I I w- wanted to agree wholeheartedly with Bill that um, that it's it's about getting into uh, humanity about getting into ourselves as humans and our guests as humans getting, and, and not just about like small talk and what do you do in your spare time and, and things like that. But, um, I, I, I love the idea of collaborative innovation and it gets, it it stays with technology. It stays with policy or, you know, whatever that person is working on, but it gets them off their sales pitch. It gets off their, their regular railroad track of thoughts and onto something different. And, and if we can just brainstorm together, it's like a little mini whiteboard session. And I found that to be super successful in keeping attention and, and getting my guests to think bigger and also getting me myself to think
1: bigger. It's enriched my, my life, um, incredibly. All right. Let's do uh, Nico, David, Josh, then Dana on this question.
0: Thank you. I, this is, um, For anybody who's been following as we um, fail in public, uh, this is something that I take truly to heart. I think that the switch to video is palpable. Uh, If you're not doing video, you are going to fail. Um, I think that is true for corporate as much as for podcasts. Um, I put in the comments a link to Rain Bennett's book, Six Second Stories. If you don't know how to tell stories in six seconds, you should learn how to do so. The thing that I've learned in an intention-scarce world is you've got three seconds to get their attention, six seconds to get them to stick around for anything longer than that. Um, We do a pretty piss-poor job of it as an industry. We do a piss-poor job of it, frankly, at Suncast, and we're trying to do better. Um, We changed our entire company strategy as a media company to help focus on better content creation. And the core of it is this, and I hope that anybody who's listening that's really struggling with their content right now will listen to this. If your content is not resonating, it's because you're not actually trying to answer hard questions. And it's because the people who are supposedly the ones you want to reach are searching for something that you haven't tried to answer yet. Really think about what are the questions that your target audience is asking Google and Bing and try to answer those things. That is the heart and core of content creation. Authenticity, yes. Um, Reaching it, like showing who we are as real people, yes. Yes you really just got to think about what are the questions that my target audience, my customers are trying to answer. Like what are the hard questions? Like how much does it cost to fill in the blank that is going to skyrocket your content in many,
4: many palpable ways. All right, David. I feel like I'm uniquely ill suited to answer (laughs) this particular question. (laughs) Since my whole career, uh, you know, I was at big publications where people editors pushed me to go wider and broader and slightly shallower and 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 do more human interest stuff and do more clever short stuff and do more video and I uh, resisted all of that <laughs> to the point that I eventually uh, blew them all off and started my own comp- my own thing so I could be you know a one-man show and do exactly what I wanted which is none of that stuff I just have big long, Nerdy conversations with other nerds. And I am not particularly desirous of a giant audience. I have what I would call a mid-size audience, but I would have what I think of as a very mm-hmm. high quality audience. Like it's it's it is other nerds. So I'm making nerd shows for nerds <laughs> and don't <laughs> give a shit about video or 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 sound bites or 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 what what brought you to this industry like what motivates you all that stuff i don't do any of that stuff i'm just like tell me about your widget let's talk about your widget for an hour and that's you know there are enough people who want that to 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 sustain me and put food on my table and that's basically all i care about so i've got nothing to tell people who want to who want to get big audiences i'm sorry
1: well david i'll tell you that the. Arguably the leading voice in, in my line of work, Seth Godin said in his 34th book, this is marketing. <laughs> marketing is identifying and super delighting and super engaging the smallest possible viable audience. So no shame in that. But Nico, I do think uh, in between David and Robert, you did put nerd in quotes. So we <laughs> bring that home. Let's go. All right, Josh Porter, answer this uh, question. Please. Then Ms. Perkins <laughs> is up.
5: Long nerd talks for nerds are my favorite, too. I got to have to confess. Uh, That being said, something that's worked over the years that I'm trying to do more of, uh, we did something called the Pantech Design Minute. It was a sponsored project for load control panels back in the radio days. And we would take a minute and create a narrative around what rather than talking about kilowatts, kilowatt hours, chemistries and all the like super geek stuff that we like to geek out on. It was like, how does this technology impact our life? in a minute or less. And I, and I found that to be really useful. It resonated with a lot of people from kids to grandparents. They could go, okay, power is out. What happens? What's my life like? What's working? What's not working? And you can do that in 60 seconds. I, I want to explore more of that and do more of that with like higher production value video. That's my my goal in this space. Uh, so, But I, I'm going to stick to the long nerd discussions as much as possible too, of course.
1: All right, Dana, last word on this question.
2: Okay. So I don't know if it's been something that's occurred to me in the last six months, because since we've been doing this, I, well, let's say in the last six months, I've been thinking more about why we originally even set up the show. As you know, it is a crowded space. And the point is that I'm trying to do something that's unique. The first thing I should do is go and look at all the guests that you guys have had and not talk to any of them because they've already been on your show. We're trying to... Well, even then, if I think about who our listeners are, the people that I've met in person that have given me feedback and the reason we set up our show was to think about the stuff that's in your peripheral vision. So if you're in this industry, but you want to be more informed about this incredibly complex and interconnected ecosystem That's what we're trying to do. That's what makes us unique. And I am a nerd groupie and that's sort of my space. I'm not the nerd talking to nerds. I'm out there trying to find the nerds and say, hey, please come and share something fascinating so that, it gets into the right places. Um, So I think it's that. And then also another anecdote that is related to podcasts, but actually came from an in-person event. So um, I was at something in person the other day and I was interviewing actually one of the sponsors and a sponsor discussion can end up being quite dry if you let it. But actually a couple of the sponsors that I spoke with, they got picked up by multiple news outlets because we really started the conversation with, what is it that you know that nobody else knows? That was that was the whole premise That's of our crap. What That's do you cool think question. you know that nobody else knows? I love it. And if Stealing you start it. with that, <laughs> what? right?
0: Stealing that question, right? I'm just saying it right now on in public.
2: <laughs> a nice. Well, nice and and, I, and and honestly, I mean, they had so much to bring to the table. And so everybody's got their unique perspective from their business, and um, so yeah, it's about finding those little nuggets instead of reaffirming or reconfirming things that other people want validation on. It's sort of the the things scratch the itch, and that's what that's what I'm trying to do scratch the itch.
1: Okay, all right, we uh, we are one minute out from top of the hour, letting these folks go. Uh, first, I want to say thank you. This has been lovely. This is the fastest hour of. Of uh, our quarter, I can tell you that much. It always goes by quick. And so I'm hereby extending an invitation to come back on the show. Amy, David, Dana, we would love to have you back. And we're going to, Christopher is already committed to coming on the next one. So we're going to do that. All right, let me close out this episode with this lightning round question What is the most underrated brand or company in clean tech that you have become aware of? Either you've had them on the show or not who is the most underrated brand or company in clean tech. All right. Battery bill. (laughs) Tigercom. Oh, that's
3: my answer. Shit. (laughs) What's up?
1: Hold on. Venmo. Okay. (laughs) Good. Got it. All right. Nerd talk. What do you got, Mr. Roberts?
4: Uh, I guess I would throw out Rondo. Uh, As I mentioned, the heat battery company, I think heat batteries are a stealth, huge, huge thing. That's going to happen in the next uh, few years. And the, and the CEO is so sharp, uh, and that and the and the potential there is so big, and the it's so low tech, it's so easy and ready to go. I just think that's uh, I think that's going to explode in the next few years. I'm not sure if that company will be the one to, you know, box of maybe it's they do a box of bricks, maybe it'll be a box of something else that wins, but like the box of X heat battery thing is going to blow up. I think. Love All
1: right, it. Amy, Jerry Springer, Simpkins, who is the most, or what is the most underrated person or company? That was Johnson's um, idea, by the way. That no, was not mine. I just want to be very clear that we take good care of our panelists and Johnson abuses them. Full stop. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think it's cheating to uh, give the name of my
6: own company, Mugrid Analytics, but um, I really like uh, straighten Energy right now. They are a battery company that is working with three very, very different chemistries and very, very different battery storage technologies. And that gives them a really interesting perspective. Um, It gets them out of the
1: tunnel vision. All right. Mr. Porter.
5: Uh, Well, I'll, I'll just uh, make full transparency. I'm working with some of these companies, but there's groups outside of the industry that are moving into the industry. For example, Enduro shield is a glass coating polymer, like uh, coating for glass that mitigates soil, uh, duration, changes the soil duration factor, mitigates soiling on PV. Things like that that are coming out of the blue that could. All right. Guy can't win. There and there we go again.
1: <laughs> we're all in full agreement with you, Mr. Porter. So we, we agreed while you were off screen that, that you were right. <laughs> <laughs> Did, Did you hear You didn't hear it?
0: Oh, no. Yeah, we heard it. Every word. Okay. Nico,
1: Nico Johnson.
0: Hmm. So I think is that broadly, yeah, I know it's right. I know it's lightning round. I think broadly, um, every, so I'm going to say Nayruk because it represents all the PUCs. And I think that, uh, I'll stick by my previous answer that we really don't, we, it, it is underrated the impact that utility, that public utility commissioners and public commission and commissioners generally have on the energy transition. And then, um, yeah, uh, I'll stick with that one.
3: All right. Great answer. Battery Bill, I already, already did you, right? Well, I just want to say, seriously, the company that, uh, and this is totally self-serving, coolest company I've seen in a long time. I loved it so much I had to fund it, called Vecta, V-E-C-T-A. These are the guys that are onboarding sort of the microgrid revolution, which is my passion. So they were like uh, twin separated at birth for me. I would have written about them in my book, but they didn't exist. So excited about Vecta.
1: All right. Dana, you're going to have last word, but Christopher Caldwell, I just want you to know, you're only getting on the next one because Dana is an American, and I can only take so many Brits on the show. So we're going to be <laughs> just, just saying that. all right? <laughs> Dana Perkins, and she's the only one who survived this episode without getting a nickname assigned. So I think that's, that's also an issue.
3: Never too late. All
1: I'll right. work on that next time. The um, it, it,
2: This is going to be like Marmite because I'm not going to pick a company. I'm just going to say anybody who's doing nuclear
1: fusion, I'm watching. Every nuclear bro on LinkedIn is now going over to Miss Perkins page. All right. You're you're all wrong. Breeze, that's the company to watch. I'm an advisor of those guys, but they're going to use idled oil and gas pipelines as long duration storage Ooh. and transmission. They're using pipes as wires. 25% of the cool. three million miles of oil and gas pipelines currently sit idled. And they're going to give oil and gas guys a way to take a stranded asset and make money off of it. So
3: anyway. That is cool. It is Got super your cool. Hey, That's a nickname, Dana.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it happened. It
2: was only matter of time. I just want to say, I feel
4: bad nobody, I feel bad nobody mentioned uh, geothermal this whole episode. Yes, so I just want true. to throw that in as one of my other trends. Like advanced geothermal is about to take off like a rocket.
1: All right. Hey, panelists, all seriousness, this has been so much fun. You guys are great. You all have a standing invitation to come back on. Even Josh Porter, we'll let him back on, but uh, all right, good. Thank you so much, folks. A lot of fun. Lot Loved of having fun. you here. Take care.
0: Well, I hope that you enjoyed this edition of our podcasters round table. The clean energy and climate tech sector is growing like crazy. And those podcasters like myself are on the front lines trying to bring you all the information you need so that you can apply it to your career, to your business you can watch if you want we've published it on linkedin you may have seen it there but of course over on our youtube channel which we'll put in the description where wherever you are listening in the podcast player that you might be using a we'll link to our youtube channel where you can see if you click on the live tab our latest live was this one you would be able to watch it as well it is always a good time thank you for joining us thanks again to the panelists who joined in particular our three new panelists, uh, Dana Perkins, Amy Simkins, and David Roberts. Really grateful for you all joining. Uh, I was uh, a bit of a fanboy there, just getting a chance to watch and be on the stage with the three of you. And I'm so grateful for uh, our cohort that continue to join us like Bill Nussie, Josh Porter, and of course, uh, Mike Casey and the TigerCom team who we co-produce this roundtable series with. Thank you as well to you for taking the time to tune in. I hope that you are tuning up your skills each and every week with us come back on thursday as we're doing a drop-in episode from our other podcast our sister podcast the climate avengers where i interviewed a fellow industry vet mr Devin hampton of utility api we're just going to replay the episode from climate avengers because it's that good <laughs> didn't feel like it needed a bespoke suncast interview so hopefully you'll make it back for that i'd like to take a moment and thank those who help make this show possible for you each and every week our sponsors you can find more of their information at mysuncast.com forward slash sponsor thanks to sungrow who has been our annual sponsor now for our second year and uh, i want to thank trina who sponsored us through the end of q2 2023 thank you trina you can also find out how you could partner with us to reach thousands of clean tech champions and solar warriors each and every week like they do and help make this show free for everyone else like yourself to listen and of course last but not least you are what you listen to thanks for showing up solar warrior It's half the battle.